All right. Amen. Amen. How's everybody's Thanksgiving? Good? Everybody had a good one? That's good. Just open up in a word of prayer before we get started and have some things in my heart to share with you guys this morning. And then uh, have some other things to share. Two things to share. So uh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, we invite your presence even right now. Lord, we want to learn how to turn towards you, Lord, to acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge even right now, God, that you are great, you are good, even as worship went up to you, Lord. We want that to be our life. We want that to be our lifestyle. We need your presence. Holy Spirit, we do invite you. We do invite you to send your fire. We do invite you, Lord, to cause our hearts to be warmed towards you, Lord, in a new way, even this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want to share a couple of things with you guys. I know some uh, are on, um, still on extended vacations. I know uh, Pastor Steve's out of town. He's down there in Texas. Pray for him. He had his, all kind of stuff happen to him. His car broke down. Some other things went wrong. But I wanted to share for a few minutes. I know some of you guys already know. Um, we've already shared with you guys some about what God is doing in our hearts and our lives with us. Uh, some of you guys have been around for a while, but we wanted to make it more public. And Pastor Steve encouraged me to take this week to share from the word of the Lord, but as well to really just let you guys know where we're at, what God's doing with us and what God's developing here and really what he's invited us into. And so with that said, um, you know, we've been uh, pursuing the Lord and, and, and waiting on the Lord and believing that God has had a long-term missions call uh, for, for us, for our family, for years now. You know, ever since we went off to ministry school, you know, with a revival emphasis, a missions emphasis, it's always been something that we've known in our hearts. It's never been a question. It's been more of, a, more of an issue of timing and location. And we feel like that, that time is starting to draw nearer and nearer, and God has really started to confirm and crystallize for us what to do with our lives and how to pretty much invest our lives in His service. And some of you guys already know we, we, super, we had a real supernatural connection with, with a pastor and some pastors in the north of Iraq last year. And we went this year, earlier this year, we took a short trip there, myself and Fabian. Some of you guys already know Fabian, Brother Fabian and his family. And from the spring of this year to this point, God has really confirmed in so many different ways, in so many different ways, both through speaking to us prophetically in our own hearts, granting us peace, open, opening up doors for us that just naturally would not open up. Things have just started to point more and more in that direction. So we've concluded that God has called us to invest our lives in the Middle East. And so uh, God provided for me supernaturally a tutor, an Arabic tutor free of charge. God really started doing all kinds of just supernatural things, even just this year. So with that said, we're going to be taking a trip there, uh, more like a logistical trip to really start to prepare the ground for, our, for, for us to come up and whatnot in January. And we'll take another one in April, maybe another one in the summer. Our goal right now is sometime around next fall to relocate permanently to the Middle East or indefinitely as long as God would have us be there. So with that said, God has really started to bring together a team. And I'm very grateful for that because it's the biblical route to go. I know for years, you know, uh, the age-old, you know, missions um, pattern has been, you know, a man is called and he goes. Sometimes it's a family. and God would move powerfully. But I believe 
more so in apostolic teams, I believe much more so in, in, in the different gifts and if at all possible, transport a community <laughs> to whatever degree you can, you know, a small community. So with that said, uh, at this point, it's going to be myself, my family, obviously my wife, my children, Fabian, his family, and our very own uh, Jen Carlson. So we're very grateful for that. Once again, I'm sure some of you guys already know just through conversation and talk, but we wanted to just make it more public. And so the reason I wanted to share is a couple of reasons, just for the next maybe five minutes. I want to share the vision that God has given us, and I want to invite you to pray for us and pray with us. And once again, we're we're looking at taking off next fall. I also want to ask you guys to prayerfully consider to be a partner in prayer and maybe even a partner in giving and helping support either Jen or my family or Fabian or neither or all, however you want to go for it. I say all. But with that said, you know, at the fire retreat, when I was at the fire retreat, some of you guys know about, hopefully all of you guys know about fire school ministry. When I was at the fire retreat in September, that first weekend of September, could have been the second, uh, from the 8th to the 10th, the Lord spoke to me supernaturally. And he, he, the best way I could put it is I was in a time of worship. I was in a time of prayer. And uh, God downloaded into my spirit. That's the best way I can articulate it. Now, sometimes... When it comes to the things that the Spirit does, it's hard to put things into words. But the best way I can put it is, I was in worship, just worshiping Jesus. And in, one, in a moment's time, God downloaded in my spirit a blueprint, so to speak, a vision of what to do and how to pattern the work in Iraq and the Middle East. So I want to share that with you guys really quickly. And what he showed me was this. It was a wheel. He showed me a wheel. And in a moment I saw, in a moment I knew it, almost as... As if it was some kind of a deja vu moment. Almost as if I had seen it before. I had known it. But I've never, I had never seen it. I had never known it. And the explanation and even scripture passages correlating with the different you know, components of the wheel and what it represented. It all became clear in my spirit in one moment. And I saw the wheel and it was a living wheel. It was alive. It wasn't just like a, looked like a chariot wheel. But it wasn't just a regular wheel. It was alive. It was, it was a wheel that was alive with the spirit. And the hub... And I believe what it was is this representative of the pattern of how we should build. The hub or the, or the very center of the wheel, if you can picture, I saw the Lord in a, in a, in a moment, and once again it was more of a, a knowing, Acts 6-4. The leaders in the church at that time gave themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And I, in, in a moment I had a knowing of the fact that God is calling us to build or plant a base with an Acts 6-4 view or with a view towards the the very spirit behind Acts 6-4. It's to raise up both a house of prayer and a house of training and equipping. It's a base with a twofold focus. One is prayer. I share this with with a a guy that I know and and, uh, his response was, well, yeah, yeah, that's just kind kind of common sense. We all pray. And of course, as a Christian, you should pray. (laughs) You know, communication with God, you can't have life without it. But it's, it's, it's more than just a place to just come and pray. It's, it's a place to where we eventually would like to see a movement um, similar to what the Moravians experienced, one of the greatest mission-sending organizations in the 1700s, similar to like an IHOP, not necessarily exactly like it, but once again, the goal would be 24-hour prayer. That's the goal. That's the vision. And not just for us to pray, but for us to raise up others and teach the locals, that prayer is the very foundation for everything. 
Waiting before the Lord, worship, prayer, that's everything. It's not just something that we do just to be able to get by as believers, but it's our very life. It's a very lifeblood of the faith. And it's how things get advanced in the kingdom. And with that said, even my experience, I think God has been prepping us in so many different ways through this last decade. We haven't necessarily always seen it that way. But even these last two years, having the privilege of working with Brother Jeff and fire school ministry here and, and, and in being involved in, in, in teaching at, at, a, at a ministry school level. At a ministry school level. I think that's the way you would, you would end that. It's been great, and we're, we're going to incorporate some of that as well as far as teaching and training. We want to raise up leaders, and it's a house of prayer with, with, with a twofold focus, both praying and seeking God ourselves and raising up others and training and equipping fivefold ministers to lead and to pastor to whatever degree, to whatever capacity God calls them. Now, the spokes represent, or the arms that shoot out, represent ministry, evangelism, outreach. In, in our limited time, I know we've been to maybe about five or six, at this point, Muslim nations, predominantly Muslim nations. And working with some of the believers there, we're, we're grateful for them. They're lighting their communities, but so many of them are so crippled by fear. And I understand, you know, different parts of the world, there's, there's different strongholds. For sure, we all face the same things in a general sense. But I believe in a more specific sense, depending on even your family background, what you've been through, the nation you live in, sometimes the, 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 uh, the local power or principality in the area will definitely manifest in a certain way. Some nations are a lot more sexually immoral than others. You go to Thailand, there's a feel in the air. You go to Haiti, there's a feel. There's a certain feel in the air. And you don't even have to be that spiritual to figure it out. You go to the Middle East, there's a feel in the air. And it's called fear. And it cripples people. And it's not just the believers, the believers and the local Muslims. There's fear. People are driven by fear. And so we believe God has called us to preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And out of that base of training in the word and equipping people in the foundations of the scriptures and being bathed in the spirit through prayer and worship, the only logical conclusion is to preach the gospel to every creature. And we believe God is calling us to do that and to reach out a hand, so to speak, like a spoke would be, to reach out our hands, to extend forth our hand and our feet and to minister the gospel from, from our neighbors to anybody else in the region. And the, and the rim, or the outside of the wheel, that corresponds with the hub and the spoke would be local house churches. We believe God is calling us to raise up local house churches, to plant churches throughout that region of the world. That's what we believe the Lord has told us to do. And once again, it's, it's with a view towards the indigenous or the local believers pastoring and overseeing the long term, uh, their own people, their own flocks. And that's why we have the base as a resource center. And as a model, we believe God wants to duplicate. This wheel, we don't believe that it's going to be like a one-time thing in, a, in, in one place. We want to see this duplicate. We believe this is a blueprint from heaven. Now, with all that said, we're not married to the wheel. We're married to the Lord. You know, we're not so stuck on things fitting so perfectly into this blueprint that we can't hear the Spirit. But we, with all that said, we do believe this is from the Lord. This is from the Spirit. God has revealed. And so, with, you know, with that, we want to we plant churches, house churches, for a couple of reasons. One, because God said so. Two, because in this region, uh, this region of the world, it's pretty practical to go this route. Thirdly, because even looking at things statistically, 
The house church movement, so to speak, is the fastest growing church in the world. Think about places like China, etc. Not because it's house church, so it's better. You know, I'm not at all trying to push something that, you know, if it's, you know, if we're not, if we're not doing it, there's a better way to do it because they're doing it over there, so let's do it that way. We're not trying to, ch- you know, chase systems and ways. But I think some of the benefit of the house church movement is this. It's hard to have a surface relationship when church is your house. It's easy to have a surface relationship when you meet in a church of like 3,000 members. And there's nothing wrong with those churches. And it's a lot easier to, to grow up into Christ in the context of genuine discipleship when you have close-knit relationships. So, you know, we just believe it's more practical from a, logis- from a logistical perspective and directly from heaven's, from heaven's um, command to us, we believe it's the way we need to go about it. So this is what we believe God is telling us to do. To duplicate these models with, with a, base of, uh, a base with a twofold purpose of the ministry of the word and prayer. With a real focus on getting the gospel out to the people. And everything we do, not doing as the American missionaries who showed up as if we have the answer, but taking along the locals in every way with us. Uh, to model out for them as well as, you know, leading and training. And with an end result, the end goal of seeing the locals raised up to pastor churches all over the region. And, and we believe God has called us to start in North Iraq. We don't have a, a definitive answer that that's where it's going to end. But we do believe, like God has said, this Mesopotamian region, this upper region of the Middle East is a life vision. So I don't necessarily know if we're going to stay in the Kurdish region or North Iraq for the rest of our life. But we do believe we're going to stay in the region at large for the rest of our life. Or until the Lord returns, or until the Lord says otherwise. So with that said, we just want to make it more public as far as letting you guys know what God's doing in our life. As you guys have been a major part of our life for the last five years. And to let you guys, uh, to really invite you guys and to ask you guys, to encourage you guys to pray for us, to pray with us. Because everything we do... It's, first of all, it's not what we do. It's what God has invited us into. And like Jose said, it's a family thing. You know, it's a family push. We need your prayers. Listen, if Paul can covet the prayers of, of, of churches and of believers, then I need to covet them about a thousand times more. If Paul, you know, if Paul the Apostle is asking for prayer, my God, we need prayer. We all need prayer. So we need your prayers. And we want to invite you as well, long term, if, if God would place it upon your heart, um, we're going to have some brochures pretty soon here, a website up very soon here, before this uh, these year's up, Lord willing. And uh, there'll be a way for you guys to stay connected with us that way, even when we're over there, and a way for you guys to give, whether one time or monthly. We're really looking to raise up monthly partners. They usually say, the missions experts say, those are the best, that's the best route to go. So uh, if we can get monthly partners, even like $25 a month or something like that, long term, that'd be great. So with that said... Um, we're going to be leaving pretty soon as well on a short trip. And then, a, and then I'm taking Danielle and Jen's going to be coming, Fabian, et cetera, in the family in April. And we got a few more trips. So we need to raise up a good little chunk of money, even coming up to the move in the fall. So with that said, uh, I'm going to pass the mic over to uh, the beloved doctor, our in-house doctor. Right. We're going to take an offering for Dave and the family right now. So if you would just take out your checkbook or your pocketbook or whatever you can take out. And we're going to collect an offering for them um, as a first step. Our goal as a congregation is to support them consistently. And maybe even some of you are going to sign on to support them in a monthly way. Uh, This is how the work gets done, is when we care for one another. And someone uh, like Dave and and Danielle 
who have poured their life into Abundant Life, uh, into this church for the last half of a decade. It's really nothing for us to be able to give to them and to, to support the work that's going on in their lives. So uh, as Dave said, they need to get some plane tickets because they need to take it. Uh, Dave needs to take two trips. Family needs to take one trip over to Iraq before they move permanently. So I, w- I just want to ask you today if you'll be able to contribute with the help out. Even if you can't help out, maybe you want to tell them you're going to. Uh, grab one of these envelopes here and just write on it what you want them to know. In other words, tell them you're going to be supporting them or you're going to be uh, helping them. Maybe you don't have your wallet today, but you want to make a sort of a let them know that you know they can count on you for a little bit. Please let them know that. If you're writing out a check today, you can make it out directly to Kingdom Gospel Mission. Okay, Kingdom Gospel Mission. That's the 501c3 organization that uh, Dave has started for the ministry. So I want to give you a chance to do that. Anybody else needs an envelope? We've got uh, Frankie coming down the side there. Joe's over here. One way in the back, bro. All right. Kingdom Gospel Mission. Not yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. Stay tuned, as they say. And again, you, you will have other chances to give. Um, so if you, if you aren't in a position to do it today, we're going to pray with you that God puts you in a position to do so in the near future. There's nothing like giving financially to people you know you can trust. Amen? Like it's one thing. I mean, I... I don't watch Christian television usually, but sometimes when I do see the preachers on there, I, I sometimes wonder, what's the reality of the situation? Like if I'm, if I'm going to give a gift, I, I don't always know. I can't tell. But here's an example of someone I am completely confident in, a family I have no question about. That's good soil right there. And I know the return that I'm going to get on that investment. And so I don't, I don't, I'm not holding back. I'm, you know... My family, we're, we're sorting through right now whether we're going to be able to give five or $6,000 a month to Dave and Danielle. Some of you might be able to do that. I, I don't think we're going to be at that commitment. We're not going to be at the gold star level. <laughs> we might have to come in at the, like, the cement level. I don't know. Whatever, whatever level that is. But, man, it just it's a joy to look at you know, this kind of a, an endeavor, and even with Jen along, you just know God is going to completely honor this. He, he is going to get so much fruit out of this, and it's going to be awesome. So, did everyone get a chance to give? Okay. Huh? Oh, you want to? Okay. You're good, or you want? Huh? Okay. Amen. Uh, so, let's maybe just pray together one more time. Father, It's just extraordinary to see your work advancing on so many levels. We thank you for the way you've spoken to Dave and Danielle. God, it's amazing that that your timing is so right. And when you're ready, you speak. And I thank you that they have been quick to obey, quick to respond. Provide everything they need for this work, for this ministry. Provide everything they need for this operation to get underway. May they see your hand in it every step of the way. 
We believe this is the will of God. This is, this is the strategy of heaven. Not just for them, but for a region, for an entire people group. God, there's so much invested into this. There's 10 years worth of prayer and obedience and seeking God and preparation. Lord, we, we are not even aware of everything that you've, you've done to prepare the soil for this. All we want to do now is throw ourselves in it, into it the best way we know how. And so we trust you. We look to you. We believe for all of the, the, the logistical concerns to be worked out. And in all of this, may your joy and peace simply cover Papa Vesis and Jen and Fabian and Carol. May, may it just be such an extraordinary time of anticipation. May faith rise in their hearts even as the day approaches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for supporting this team. Wonderful. Now uh, get out the Bible because I think Dave might have a bit of instruction for us today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. If you guys got your Bibles with you, turn to John 13. As you do, a uh, f- um, couple of quick things. In the, for future reference, you can always see uh, Liz as well, who's, who's working with us uh, stateside here in Chicago. And, and if today you're like, man, I don't have a checkbook. I don't have any cash. We take credit card. Yeah, we take credit card. That's not a joke. So see me after service. We have a way to do it right now, right here, and send you a, an electronic email. Okay? So, so if you guys want to give that way, either now or before we leave, we can do that for you. Okay? So John 13, starting in verse 1. Lord, I pray that you would shed light upon your word. God, cause the text to come alive to us. Cause us to come alive to the text. We want to fellowship through, uh, with you through the revelation of your word. We want to know you. We want to become like you. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 13, 1. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, that he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing now you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he had said not all of you are clean. Jesus knows the time and the hour. This moment of his life, the very consummation of everything for which he came into the world to accomplish is at hand. One thing I like about Jesus amongst 
the fact of who he is, is he's so intentional. If you think about him, it's so intentional. You know, you read through the Gospels, you read through John's writings, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Everything he does is with purpose. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. The whole town comes to the door the evening previous. Everybody gets healed. Everybody gets healed. The whole village. The next morning, he wakes up early. He goes off to pray in a desolate place. He comes back. The disciples are looking for him because the whole town is outside. They're ready for the revival services. They're ready to, you know, to set up the, the, the whatever the case is, erect an altar, so to speak, to him. He says, we need to go. We need to go somewhere else. Almost anybody else would have stayed. This is the opportunity. Let's strike here. Jesus moves on. For this purpose, my father has called me. He's always, he's always at the very heartbeat of what the father wants. I believe a large part of the reason that a lot of us, you know, often in our lives, we miss God and in, in, in whatever the case may be is because we're not walking in divine timing. One of the dangers in the West is looking for principles for success to such a degree that we cut out the person of the Lord himself. We're not opposed to principles. We don't want, I don't want to throw out by any means some kind of blanket statement out there. But it's so important to know what the Lord is saying. It's so important. The danger, the danger with principles is this. You can still control them. You can use them when you want to use them. You can pull them out when you want to pull them out. Versus the Lord speaking to you and putting you on like a glove. You can put the principle on like a glove and work it. But Jesus knew the time. He knew the hour. He was walking in divine timing. He rebukes even the local Pharisees in town, the religious men. He says, you guys can tell this... You guys can tell by the clouds what season it is, what's about to happen. You can tell it's about to rain. You can tell it's about to thunder. But you cannot, you cannot discern the day of your visitation. The road to Emmaus, the disciples are walking with Jesus. Some of the disciples are walking with Jesus. They cannot tell it is him. Throughout the scriptures, we find time and time again where the Lord is present in the midst. And the people cannot discern that God is in the midst. Jesus in Revelation is walking through the lampstands. And he's discerning what's happening in every man's heart, in the work, in the leadership. And often it goes unnoticed by the people themselves. Because the people themselves are so busy trying to do something for God and produce something for God. Or completely cut God out of the picture because they have a program to run. It's not necessarily just in a church meeting. It translates over to our lives, to our homes, to our jobs. Jesus knew the hour. He knew the hour. He lived, I believe the Lord lived with both a sense of urgency, divine timing, and just a sense of complete trust and rest. He trusted the Father. I've talked to so many friends that have come over from other countries to the U.S. Just recently, we had a friend who grew up in Chicago and she went over to Europe she was in Spain for some years, and she came back. I talked to some friends from the Middle East. I have a friend here in the back row from the Middle East, uh, from Iraq, actually. Bless you, brother. And so many friends that I've talked to from different cultures, different parts of the world, that have come over to the States, especially a big city like Chicago, they all have a similar testimony in this. Man, there's something about the States. There's a pressure. There's like an unspoken, invisible pressure. 
there's like a time constraint for everything. There's, a, there's like a, like you live on the edge, there's an anxiety, it's like an unseen anxiety, you've got to produce. Where in, in other parts of the world or in the east, there's, a, there's, there's, more of an, there's more of an enjoyment of family, community, church, etc. We're so driven by the clock. And at the end of the day, sometimes we get less done. Maybe we get more done, but with less substance. I believe Jesus walked with, with a divine urgency, meaning like a divine timing. He was very aware of the fact that he had 33 years. Very aware of it. He was very, he was very aware of the fact that the people wanted him for what he can give them and not for himself when they wanted to make him king by force. He knew who was going to betray him. He knew they would not take his life. He would lay down his life. John 10, and he had the power from the Father. He had a charge, this charge from the Father. He had the power and the ability and the right to lay it down and take it back up. He knew. He was walking in divine timing. I know I've often said before, if I had 33 years, only three or maybe three plus of which would be devoted to ministry, to leave behind into the hands of these imperfect men, this great commission, this gospel of the kingdom, that upon this, this, this group, this nucleus of believers, would hang the responsibility of advancing the kingdom of God into the earth, pointing to his return. If I had three and a half years, I'm certain I probably would have managed my life a lot different than Jesus, at least in a natural frame of mind. You look at Jesus. He's sitting all day waiting for one Samaritan woman in the hot sun to have a conversation. It goes a whole day. It's a whole day. You only got three years. You spend a whole day doing that. And then how much time he spends with these guys, talking to them on top of the mountain, talking to them, walking with them, eating with them, communing with them. He, he perfectly, he perfectly invests his life because he doesn't have the textbook. He has the spirit. I'm not talking, he had the textbook, the law, the word, which he studied and meditated upon. But he didn't have a textbook on like, this is how you should invest your life. Give 30% of your time to outreach. Give 50% of your time to discipleship. And give 20% of your time to rest and then just spending time, just, you know, fun time, play time. You know, keeping it real with the disciples. There was no, there was no textbook to how to do this successfully. There was walking with the Father every moment of his life. And knowing every moment of his life, I look to him. What do I do today? I'll be ready, Lord. I, I'm, Father, I'm ready to lay down my life. I'll be ready. What do I do today? And in this context right here, John 13, that's exactly what he's doing. He's about to fulfill what he came to do on the cross, on Calvary. And before he does that, he leaves behind one of the greatest stories that we can pull from where he reveals both his nature to his disciples and to us, the readers. He reveals his very nature as Lord and as Savior. And he invites us into the same service, the same behavior. This is what it says. When the hour had come, he loved his own at the end of verse 1. He loved them to the end. He loved them to this end. The midst of betrayal in the house... Jesus, fully aware of the fact that the Father had given all things into his hands, knowing where he had come from 
and knowing where he was going, rose up from supper and laid aside his garments. Something, I have a couple of things to say about that. Him laying aside his garments, I believe, is prophetic of a couple of things. It's the same word in the Greek that he uses in John 10 for the good shepherd lays down his life. Now, obviously, we're not trying to compare laying down your life and laying down your garments. But it's the principle of what we're speaking about. It's the spirit of what we're speaking about. Jesus lays aside his garments. Philippians 2, one of the most powerful Christological passages in the scripture. He put off the very rights and privileges of divinity. And he came and he put on the very form of a man. And not just a man, but a man of lowly service, a servant. Not just to lay down his life, but to lay down his life through the form and through the work of the cross. Jesus, knowing where he came from and knowing where he was going, was able to lay down his life. Now listen. What he's doing, he's doing for two reasons. One, because this is who he is. Jesus doesn't love people, feed people, heal people to prove a point to anybody. Jesus does what he does to reveal the glory of the Father. And by revealing himself, he's revealing the glory of the Father. He's not doing something outside of himself, meaning on any other given day he wouldn't do something like this. Jesus is just doing this to teach you a lesson. No, Jesus is being himself in the midst of his people. He's revealing his glory to his people by revealing his very nature and his heart, his plan, his purpose. But in that, he's inviting them into the very same service. He was empowered to do this not just as the son of God, but as the son of man. Because he knew from where he came and he knew where he was going. You know, early on in the first trimester of fire school of ministry, so I will invite you guys, if you're not part of the school, to look into it. You know, we talk about establishing a strong foundation in God. Understanding what took place at the cross. Understanding the new nature. We talk about revival as both a, a finished reality by the Spirit and a pursuit that we go after as a lifestyle. There are very few within us that pulls upon God is what he's already done in us. God's spirit is both with us and is inviting us to bid him come all at the same time. Jesus understood where he came from and where he was going. He was fully secure in the fact that he was the son. He knew who he was. That's what gave him the power to serve. Not to try to get a pat on the back. Not not to try to get brownie points with the father. Not to try to impress the disciples, but because he knew who he was, he can serve. I think often in our own, in, you know, in our own communities, we, we find it so hard to approach service from this mentality, to take the lowest road. Because we feel like in their eyes, if I diminish myself in the people's eyes, I lose my standing. I lose my standing with the people. I lose the upper hand. Don't lose the upper hand. You know, in the world, you don't want to lose the upper hand in the relationship. You get a new job. You don't want to lose the upper hand amongst leadership. You don't want to lose the upper hand. You don't want to come off and look weak. Anybody who's insecure thinks like that, hands down. If you're insecure, that's the way you think. 
know, our churches are filled with insecure people. And we're not talking about the opposite of insecurity, some kind of a self-esteem. Far from. We're talking about God-esteem. We're talking about esteeming God rightly. When you esteem God rightly, all things are made plain. When you esteem God rightly and understand what he's accomplished on the cross of Calvary, and when you see his nature and the revelation of his heart, and the fact that he's inviting us into himself to be like him, to share life with him, to receive life from him, these things are no longer challenges to us. They're natural, they're natural, they're natural instincts. They're byproducts of who we are. He knew from where he came, and he knew where he was going. He wasn't trying to build a kingdom in this world. He understood fully well. I'm passing through. It's a trans- this is a transient period in life. I'm walking through. And because of that, he was able to, with full humility and full confidence, as the Son of God, unrobe himself. There's a passage in Matthew 27. I think it's verse 28. It starts with these three words in my Bible. And they, or these four words, and they stripped him. Speaking of the Roman guards, if you, won't, if you won't by the confidence that you have in your heart of who God is to you and the humility that's produced as a result of the awareness of God's holiness and God's greatness in your life, if you can't by your own will lay aside your life, lay aside your rights to serve, to take that lowest position, you won't let anybody else do it. You know, you won't let somebody else do it. The reason they stripped him and he didn't resist is because in his heart he had laid aside his rights, Philippians 2, and his privileges a long time ago. The Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the world. And this is something that he did time and time again. Jesus died a thousand deaths before he ever faced Calvary. He was willing to lay aside his garments because it was in his heart it was already a done deal. He was willing to take the lowest road because he understood who he was. The reason he understood who he was is because he knew from where he came. He knew him from where he came. And he knew where he was going. He wasn't confused. He understood well. We'll never let somebody else strip us if we won't strip ourselves, so to speak. We'll never let that happen. With that said, I remember I had a friend, uh, we were talking about, Fasting. I was a friend some years back, and we were talking about doing a fast. It was a shorter fast. And he told me, he said, you know, Dave, he said, man, you don't understand. He said, it's just I can't fast. It's like a weakness I have. I can do anything else, but I can't fast. And uh, I told him, brother, listen, it's, you can fast. You know, we don't all have to do the same kind of fast, the same length of fasts, but fasting should be a part of, part of your life, learning how to how to." Put your body into control, into proper submission, which is something that in the West is so looked down upon. You do what you want to do, you do what feels good. And he said, brother, he said, I'll give Jesus, I'll just give Jesus anything. It's just, it's my stomach I have a problem with. That's what he said. I said, brother, one day the Lord might require your head from you. He said, I'll give Jesus my head. It's my stomach. Like I said, it's my stomach I have a problem with. But, but the sad thing is this. That's what I was thinking in my heart. There's no way you're giving Jesus your head if you can't give Jesus your stomach. That's just not going to happen. If you can't give Jesus the very base appetites of your life, not as some kind of a discipline to get noticed, but as unto worship, 
that you can experience him more deeply and drink more deeply from his love and properly align your flesh and your body as a servant and not a master. If you can't do that, what makes you think in the moment you will willfully lay down anything else? Jesus takes off and puts on. He takes off his robe and he puts on a towel. And he gets on his knees. He fills a basin with water. And he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Comes to Simon Peter. At some point, I'm not sure how many he had washed by this point, but he comes to Simon Peter. And Simon says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Here's what I was thinking about. You know, in this context, in this day, the slave of the house would wash the feet. The servant of the house would wash the feet. You have to remember, they're not wearing gym shoes. They're wearing sandals. And they're not walking down, you know, uh, cement paved roads all the time. They're walking through all kinds of things. There's animals in different places. They got dust. Maybe worse. And so when you walk into a house out of honor, you know, once again, the Jewish people are definitely, according to the law, you know, a clean people to the degree that they're, they're very focused on external cleanliness. And so they walk into the house, a, 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 the slave or the servant of the house, the lowest member of the house, maybe the youngest child or something. You would walk in and they would wash your feet. They would cleanse the feet of the guests before they sit down at the table. At this point, apparently, the feet aren't washed. I'm not sure if the servant wasn't around or if there was just them amongst each other that they walked in to have a a meal and nobody else was around. I'm not sure. I'm not going to argue from silence. But it's safe enough to say that somebody didn't take the lowest road. So you didn't see James volunteering like, oh, there's no servants in the house. Let me start washing everybody's feet. Everybody just assumed, well, if there's nobody here to wash my feet, I guess we just eat with dirty feet. So Jesus takes off his robe, puts on a towel, and begins to wash their feet. And Peter off the top, impulsive Peter. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You don't wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Clearly, I believe he's speaking of what's about to happen on the cross of Calvary. Through the shedding of his blood and, and definitely the sanctifying work of the Spirit. But in a moment, he says, listen, if I don't wash you, if, I don't, if you're not washed by me, not what you can do for me, but what you, allow, what you allow me to do for you. If you won't let me do that for you, you have nothing to do with me. And Peter says, well then, wash my hands and my head also. It's funny how in the moment you have both a sense of humility and a sense of pride. It's a, it's a false humility mixed with a, well, then let me tell you how to do it. Let me, let me give you the directions then. No, first of all, no, not me, Lord. Not me. How, that, that would never be. The Lord says, no, 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 you don't understand. Apparently you don't understand me. I don't wash you. You have nothing to do with me. Okay, well, in that case, do it like this. And Jesus says, no, if I wash your feet, it's enough. Certainly, I don't want to look too much into the passage, but certainly this has to do with discipleship. To one degree or another, certainly has to do with commitment. Because when Jesus bids these same disciples to join him, not just in his mission, but his Father's will in every way, he bids them to come and follow him. A disciple is called to follow after him. That's the command he gives them. It's to this end, you come, follow me. You deny yourself your rights. You take up your cross to this end, for this purpose, so that you will be able to follow me. At the end of the day, I want you with me. Mark 3, he calls the disciples to be with him. 
The foundation for discipleship and family and everything else. Be with me. I think sometimes we get more caught up in, in doing the things and in understanding the things than we do just walking with Jesus and being with Jesus and letting the understanding follow the fact that we're following him. Letting the doing and the things that we place our hands to be a result of the fact that we're with him. We're following him. He's leading. We follow. Jesus leaves an example for us. He goes on to say and later on in the chapter, listen, I'm, who's the greatest amongst you? They say, clearly, you're the greatest amongst us. And he said, and this is the way I serve. This is what I do. This is the model that I leave behind. I wash your feet. Whoever is the greatest amongst you, you guys follow the same model. Follow the same road. And once again, in, 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 in their day, this is, the, this is about as base and as low as it gets. I know in the church today, within certain denominations, certain circles, we practice this as one of the, one of the things that we do in the church, like you know, sometimes alongside with the Eucharist. I think it's great. I think it's very important. I think it's very symbolic, very prophetic. But I hope we're not missing the meaning behind what he did to where we take the symbolism of it and we put the symbolism on a pedestal to where the actual procedure of washing feet becomes the end all and we forget what jesus was revealing of him of himself of his nature and inviting us into this is the lowest this is the lowest of the low here walking into somebody's house and washing their feet it's the lowest it's it's completely putting off all dignity all rights That's what Jesus is inviting us into. Nobody wants to volunteer for that stuff. Jesus volunteers for that stuff. He washes our feet. Naturally, our response is God. It's almost almost like, you know, you see Peter sitting down. he He can't bear to look at his Lord washing his feet. He recognizes he's the Lord. I can't have you wash my feet. Naturally, we want to fight against that. You know, when you first get born again, if you don't really understand the love of God, you'll have a hard time receiving the love of God. Because it almost feels like I should be doing something. This just doesn't even feel right. It's almost offensive to serve a Lord who has a, who has a nature like this. A Lord so meek. It's almost like, Lord, you're going to lose. They're not going to vote for you. I mean, you're not going to look. This doesn't even look right. And he doesn't do it to try to prove something to you or just encourage you along. This is the Lord that we serve. He's gentle of heart. He's meek. But he's the Lord. He left the head of the table, by the way. He was, he was leaning his, his elbow at the head of the table. This is the way the greatest amongst you should look. That's what Jesus says. You want to be great in the kingdom, this is the way to look. I don't want, to, I don't want to, you guys to stumble, you know, to stumble across the washing of the feet as if that's the one thing. But whatever it is, whatever the most base lowly approach and act of service that we would have in our, in our context, you know, in our communities. Jesus is inviting us into it, not so we can do it, so we can say, well, look, Jesus, I'm acting like you. But so that within that context, he can form you and make you into himself. That's the context you grow into. You know, I remember one time talking to a friend and, and he was saying, is it wrong to want to be great? According to the scriptures, I told him, I don't believe it's wrong to want to be great. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest. Jesus gives incentive, the Beatitudes, throughout the Gospels, Jesus gives incentives. It's not wrong to be, want to be great. 
Matter of fact, I believe to a large degree it's part of the DNA of the human nature. God has created you to be a joint heir with him. Of course it's great. We don't want to approach this from some kind of a, some kind of a slant of false humility. Well, no, not me, Lord. No, 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 no. Now, listen, sometimes that's even more self-centered than the arrogant person. We don't have some kind of a false, like, well, no, it's not us. It's the, of course it's not you. I realize you could not create an eyeball into that guy's head when you just prayed in Jesus' name. You didn't do anything. You just put your hand on him. We know it's not you. We're fully aware it's not you. you know, but with that said, what I told him was this. I said, you take that desire for greatness that God put in you, no matter how twisted it might be at this point, and you start serving. You get on your knees. You, go, you give of yourself, of your time, of your emotions. You pray for your enemies. I promise you, sooner or later, God's going to break that stuff off you. He's going to purify that desire for greatness and make it a righteous desire for greatness. Go ahead. Try it for a while. Try going out of your way. Okay, you want to be great in the kingdom. It's, it's in you by the Holy Ghost. You didn't come up with it, okay? Don't fight that off. Just submit it to the Lord. You want to be great in the kingdom? You go out of your way to go, to go give of your proceeds to the poor. Go up to the person who offends you and who really bothers you and just bless them. Buy him a gift. Take him out to dinner and just listen to him talk. You say nothing. What's going on in your life? Spend some time with him. Go invest, go invest to the poor. Go on a mission trip. Go, go give of your time. Go give of your efforts. Pray for your enemies. You see how long that, that twisted desire for greatness stays twisted. I promise you it's within those contexts of lowliness that God, God perfects. It's in weakness. It's in dependency. And it's in us becoming vulnerable with God and vulnerable with people that God perfects in us our character. That God starts to mold us to where our nature looks a lot more like His. And I believe this is what the Lord is saying to us. You know, this fall, we took a, a, a time of maybe three months, uh, four months, this fall, even into the end of the year. And we really, we really wanted to focus, at least as much as we could, stay on the theme of revival. We wanted to stay on that theme, revival. Because we believe it's what the Lord said to us, number one. And number two, because every healthy Christian, every healthy church should, should. Both understanding what God has accomplished and has made available for us to pull on for strength, for life, so that we can pursue more of it. That's revival. Both pulling on what he has done to give us the very platform and foundation to reach out for more. Because we want him. That's the end, that's the end goal of life. To know him. To have him. To be like him. To, to glorify him. Jesus. The king on the throne, for him to be satisfied, for him to be pleased, for him to be crowned. In that, we find our greatest satisfaction. In that, we receive our greatest pleasure. In that. So with that said, you know, we talked, we talked about different things. You guys have seen transformation videos. We've talked about the necessity of the voice of God. We've talked about the necessity for repentance. We need all of these things. We, we need him in our midst. But this is a very practical way of what it looks like. I know sometimes when we talk about these things and we have these words that, that often we have no grid for. We talk about revival and the outpouring of the Spirit and the latter day rain and, you know, wide scale evangelistic movements. Or we have these, these terminologies sometimes that, you know, they go over our heads. Even for some of us who have grown up in church for a long time. And sometimes we have our own definition of what it means. And you've heard it so often, but you have your own definition of what it means, and it's boxed into a little corner. But listen, if you can understand a lowly Lord, 
a Lord of gentleness and meekness. If you can understand the king who puts on flesh, who gets up from the, from the seat of honor at the head of the table and lays aside his garments in order to put on a towel and to wash the feet, the, the, the dirty, the filthy feet of these men who follow him, both to reveal who he is and what he's like and what he's calling us into, the kind of greatness that he's calling us into. And if we follow that pattern, listen, whether or not we have, you know, spectacular music, whether or not we have spectacular outreaches, whether or not we have amazing programs, whether or not we have great speakers coming in through town, that right there is what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for right there. We're looking for Jesus Christ in our midst. That's what, we, that's what we want. We want Jesus in our midst. This message right here, it doesn't carry the pop that sometimes other messages carry. It doesn't carry that same pop. It doesn't carry that same, like, you know, you know the, the, the glitter in the air. This right here is the basis. It's the basis of what we look like. It's, it's this right here. Laying aside our rights, laying aside our dignity to take the lowest place, to love, to serve, And the only thing that's going to make that possible, the only thing that's going to give us both the humility, the confidence, and the will to accomplish this, is our understanding of where we have come from, who we have come from, and where we are going. If you don't understand what Christ has done to make you a son and a daughter in the household, you will live like a slave trying to earn a paycheck. You will live like a servant. You will live like a hireling. You will perform for the Lord and you will perform for men. That's what's going to happen. You want to get a performance-based mentality, a performance-based ministry, trying to get pats on the back, trying to get paychecks, whether they be emotional, affirmation, or or, or the stature that somebody gives you, or or finances themselves. Don't, Don't at all understand the finished work of the cross. Don't dwell on that. Don't wash your mind with the blood of Jesus. Don't focus on the nature of God. Don't focus on the beauty of the Lord. And if you want to build a kingdom in this life, and you want to live like a slave, a servant, a hireling in the house of God, don't focus on where this entire thing is headed towards. Don't focus on the coming kingdom. Don't focus on the Lord who will ride the white horse with an army who will split the sky and bring up his church, and the whole world will face judgment. The reason Jesus Christ could confidently and with all humility fulfill the will of his Father in the perfect moment, in the perfect way, every moment of his life, is because he knew where he was coming from and he knew where he was going. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. I know who I am. And I know where I'm going. Church, it's time we understand. It's time we come face to face with the risen Lord. It's time we come face to face with both the crucified Lord and the risen Lord. Because you need to know that times require it even more now than ever before. The times require it more now than ever before. For us to understand from where we come. For us to understand the heart of God. For us to understand the blood of Jesus. For us to understand the power of the finished work in Calvary. For us to pull on the grace of God. And for us to understand that this story is quickly wrapping up. History is wrapping up. And very quickly so. And that we can do these things with, with, 
a, a true and sincere and pure heart, not trying to put on a show for anybody, not trying to earn anything, but because God is both in us and with us. And his nature so possesses us that the only logical and instinctive conclusion that we come to is this is what we're like. This is what we're like. We know where we're from. We know where we're going. I can serve with confidence. I can serve with, I can apologize with confidence. I can preach the gospel and not fear man with confidence. I can give of my earnings with confidence. I can invest in my family and not feel like I'm missing out with confidence. I can go to my job where I don't like necessarily, maybe my boss, etc., and work as if I'm working unto the Lord with confidence. Because I know where I'm coming. I know where I come from. I know who I serve. I know who I am. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm not trying to get a name or status. I know who I am. And I know where I'm going. I know, I know the direction in which my life is facing. And so, therefore, that frees me to be like Jesus. That frees me to be like Jesus. When you know who you are because of what he's done. Not because like, oh, I'm Puerto Rican, I know who I am. Not like that kind of knowing who you are. Or like, oh, I know who I am, I'm, you know, I'm wealthy, I come from a wealthy family, I know who I am. Or don't you talk to me like that, I know who I am. Not that kind of, I know who I am. The kind of know who I am that's identified with the, with, with the crucified Lord. That kind of I know who I am. I'm dead with him. My whole identity in life is hidden with Christ and God. That's who I am. I know who I am. Because I know Jesus on the cross. Because I know the nature of God intimately so. And I know how this whole thing ends. And I'm facing that direction. Okay? Let's just stand up. Just stand up right now. passage says in Matthew 27, and they stripped him. I want to encourage you, saints. This is for all of us. I want to encourage you guys. God is with us. Listen, the days that we're facing, the days to come, there's going to be, I believe, an increased level of this. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everything that can be tested will be tested. You won't, lay all, you won't lay anything aside in the moment, in the heat of it, that you're not willing to lay aside right now. You won't lay anything aside in the heat of it, in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the test, that you can't willfully lay down right now. And Jesus is looking right now for us, once again, to freshly, freshly appropriate the finished work of the cross, to freshly receive of his nature into us, to understand the scope for which we live, to understand what it looks like. To walk with him. Listen, he wants to wash our feet. Before he asks anything of them, he does it for them. Before he asks them to do anything, he first does it. He first models it. I'm going to spend maybe the next few moments at the altar. If you guys want to come pray. If you want to pray. Lord. I realize that what you're looking in my life to cleanse the fresh, Lord, is my commitment to you. Remember, he washes their feet. And the feet represent commitment, discipleship, following, walking with him. 
I know we all want God to look into, you know, our hands, the work, what we produce, our head, what we know, our understanding. He's looking freshly to ask us, I want to bathe your commitment to me afresh. I want to wash clean, once again, your commitment to me. I want to wash off stained feet. Listen, don't resist him. Let him, let him wash your feet just afresh even today. Just receive from the Lord even as you come up. Receive from the Lord. Let him wash your feet. Let him bathe afresh your commitment to him. Let him infuse you afresh with his nature that you would lay down your life for others. That you would lay down your life for others. Jesus.